Good morning and welcome to the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. We're a spiritual community dedicated to the free search for truth and meaning, and I'm very glad you all are here. We come from a long heritage of teaching that there is a spark of the divine in every person. And the congregations are now in conversation about whether we should say there's a spark of the divine in every being. We greet the divine in our midst on a Sunday morning by turning to the person to our right and left and welcoming them here. Will you say with me the words by which we light our chalice, which is the symbol of our faith? Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Our call to worship this morning was written by William F. Schultz. This is the mission of our faith, to teach the fragile art of hospitality, to revere both the critical mind and the generous heart, to prove that diversity need not mean divisiveness, and to witness to all that we must hold the whole world in our hands. When you have choices to make or when you're confused about where to go next, it helps to have a mission. This congregation wrote its own mission, and it guides our steps as we move into the future. We wrote it on the wall, and we say it together. We gather in community to nourish souls, transform lives, and do justice. Our meditation reading this morning was written by Richard M. Fuchs. It's titled, We Lift Up Our Hearts in Thanks. For the sun and the dawn, which we did not create, for the moon and the evening, which we did not make, for food which we plant but cannot grow, for friends and loved ones we have not earned and cannot buy. For this gathered company, which welcomes us as we are from wherever we have come. For all our free churches that keep us human and encourage us in our quest for beauty, truth, and love. For all things which come to us as gifts of being from sources beyond ourselves, gifts of life and love and friendship. We lift up our hearts in thanks this day. Now is the time in our service when we enter into an attitude of meditation and prayer together, where we pray or listen to God as we understand God, or listen to our inner wisdom, or just follow our breath as it comes in and out of our bodies. Let us pray and meditate together. As we breathe, we seek the still places. We hardly ever get still places during the week. 
is in these places where we find our clarity, compassion. It is in these places where we can see what really is important. Let us enter into the wise silence together, understanding that in this congregation, tiny noises from children and the noises of life count as part of the silence. So Kai and I have been doing our DNA and our ancestry. Um, she, more than I, because it seems to be something that you do late at night. Um, I am sleeping at night. But I wake up in the morning and she goes, I found out who my Portuguese ancestor is. I found out who the Cherokee ancestor is. And anyway, um, it's delightful hearing about her family because mine is fairly dull. I kind of got off of the ancestry thing when I worked on it for an afternoon or two. And I was like, and your grandfather was a preacher and his father 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 was a, all the way back to 1690. I, I wanted something spicier. <laughs> I, I don't know what to say. I, I did the DNA thinking maybe there were stories I didn't know. Maybe there was some spice in the genes. But no. Scott's Irish. All the way around. But it does make you feel like you are in a place that you're from people and that your roots are speaking. And I, you know, I am just the embodiment of all that. Um, With my own little twist, being female, which they never had before. But that wasn't my doing. Anyway, um, Jesus has a genealogy and it starts the New Testament, the Christian scriptures in the book of Matthew. I talk to you about it every now and then because there are a few women on that list, which is very unusual. And I talk to you about different women. I think last time I told you about Tamar. Let me just, I'm not going to read you all the begats because that's what the genealogy looks like. But the, the women in the begats, again, unusual to name the women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and uh, the, the mother of Solomon, it says, that doesn't name her, it says, she had been Uriah's wife. I'm going to talk to you about her. And uh, it ends up with Joseph, who was Jesus' father. So anytime anybody in your family is hawking you about the virgin birth and blah, blah, you can just say, then why does Matthew trace the genealogy through Joseph? Sorry, was that too gay? (laughs) So instead of telling you about Tamar today, I'm going to talk to you about Ruth and Rahab. I was thinking about Ruth. Friday I was making a chocolate cake. And baking is very new to me, but it's bringing back memories because I think my mother baked once. And... um, And, she, you know, we were standing around her going, I want to lick the beaters. I want to lick the bowl. You know how you do when you're a little kid. And so she left a good bit in the bowl for us. 
because she knew we were watching her. And, um, and that was fun. And I was, I was getting the batter out and I thought, oh, I wish I had somebody here jumping up and down um, to, to lick the bowl. But it made me think about the story of Ruth because the farmers back in that day used to do the same thing with their fields, the harvest in their fields. They would harvest, if they were good people, they would harvest very sloppily. And they would leave the corners unharvested, and they would leave spots undone, and then the poor would come in and harvest from that. And so, um, here's the story of Ruth, who was one of Jesus' grandmothers. She had married a guy um, who was from Israel, but she was living in the far country um, where she had grown up, and her husband died. And then his brother died, the husband of her, um, of the other daughter-in-law, to a woman named Naomi, who was the mother of the two sons who died. And Naomi said to the daughters, well, you guys, I guess you just go home now to be with your fathers, and they will support you, and you wear, you know, widow's clothes, and... Um, just live out the rest of your lives as a widow in your father's house. It's not fun, but it's what you do. Uh, the, the rule was that if your husband died, then you were taken on by his brother. Um, and then the brother would father children with you that would count as your dead husband's children. Um, ow. But um, there was no other brother for her. But she said to Naomi, I don't want to go back to my father's house. I'll go with you. She said, whether thou goest, I will go. When you lie down, I will lie down. Your gods will be my gods. Your people will be my people. I'm not leaving you. And that, a lot of times you'll hear it at a wedding, but it was originally said by a daughter-in-law to a mother-in-law. That was Ruth. And so she went back to Israel with Naomi And the closest thing that Naomi knew was that there was a cousin of her son named Boaz. And Boaz um, was a farmer, and he was a good guy, you could tell, because he was leaving the corners of his field unharvested for the poorer people. And so Ruth went on down there and started taking some grain And her mother-in-law said to her, "Um, that's the closest thing that you're going to find to a brother to your dead husband, so honey, go get him. (laughs) I think there's a country music song about it, but I'm not sure. (laughs) So she went at night to the threshing floor where all the men were sleeping, and it says she, she uncovered his feet and lay down. Um, but the feet were a euphemism. Um, not going into it. And she just lay down with him, and then they uh, started dating. And eventually married. And he was kind. That worked out well. The 
the wife of Uriah, was named Bathsheba. And she was in that Leonard Cohen song, Alleluia. It says, he saw her bathing on the roof. Um, Her beauty overthrew him. So he wanted her. You know, the palace was up higher. He could see the roofs, flat roofs of the other houses. She was married to a commander in David's army named Uriah. And so he sent his army um, into battle to get him out of town. And he started dating Bathsheba, and she got pregnant. So when Uriah, so he called Uriah back home. He called the army back home because he wanted the baby to seem like it was Uriah's. And he said, you're the commander. Just go see your wife and have a lovely R&R holiday, and, um, and then we'll go back to war after that. But Uriah was a really good commander, and what he said was, I'm not going to have R&R with my wife while my guys are not able to do that with their wives, so I'm going to sleep at the gate of the town with them. And so the whole vacation from the war, he slept at the gate with his guys, um, so David had to go to plan DEFCON 9, which was send them in a, a kamikaze mission and make sure Uriah was in front, and he got killed. So nobody approved of that. The prophets um, were very disapproving and angry with King David about that. But Bathsheba, nevertheless, was one of King David's wives, and she was the mother of Solomon, who became king next. And um, so she has a very important, besides being the abuela of Jesus, she had an important role as the mother of Solomon. And so, um, yet, in this genealogy, she's called the wife of Uriah, which is a way of referencing the backstory and making sure the taint of the bad behavior stuck. You know what I mean? Now, we don't know who wrote the book of Matthew. Um, it might have been the guy, Matthew, not really likely. But if it was, it's interesting to think about why he might have been fascinated by these women who were outsiders. What they did was, you know, Tamar... She was supposed to, her husband died, and she was supposed to be given to the next brother. Um, but, okay, I have time to tell you this story. So her husband died. She was supposed to be given to the next brother, but the next brother didn't want to father children that wouldn't count as his own. He wanted his own children to be his own children. His name was Onan. And so what he did was he was supposed to be with her, but he spilled his seed on the ground which is where the church people get the word onanism, which is supposed to mean kind of like sex by yourself, but it doesn't. It means you didn't do what you were supposed to do, really. So he was supposed to do that. He spilled his seed on the ground, and God struck him dead. So the next brother was supposed to be with her, but he was too young. He was like 11. And so what the dad said was, what Judah said was, go 
be with your father in his house, like a widow, and I'll call you when this guy gets old enough. But he kind of thought she had a curse or something because he didn't want, I mean, the first son died, the second son died. He didn't want his third son to die. And so he just never called her. And so she was in uh, the father's house and he um, had to go up to another area to do the sheep shearing. So it was like, you know, he's from Austin. He's going up to Amarillo to shear the sheep. And she um, hears that he's coming. And she realizes, she knows it's been enough years so that that kid has grown and he hasn't called her. So she takes off her widow's clothes and puts on more fancy clothes and pretends to be a fancy woman sitting at the well. And he comes by the well on his way to shear the sheep and he says, hey, fancy woman, want to have fun? And she says, oh, yeah. He says, I'm going to send you a goat. And she says, well, I would like something in to keep, to make sure you're going to keep your promise, like your driver's license or something. And so he gives, <laughs> paraphrasing, he, he gives her his signet ring and his walking staff. And there's a cord with the staff. And so... Um, that all happens, and she gets pregnant. And he's back home, and he hears your daughter in law, Tamar, has played the fancy woman and gotten pregnant. And he says, Bring her here, she must die. <laughs> and so she comes, and she, he says, Who has done this? And she's like, The guy that this is their ring? And he goes, Oh, man. So she got justice, did not get killed. That's one of Jesus' grandmothers. She was fierce, and she did the wrong thing for the right reason. Or it was really the right thing. It was outside the lines, but it was righteous. You know what I mean? And so many times... Um, these women in Jesus' genealogy did something that was way outside the line, but for the right reason. Or they got taken outside the line by a king who wanted them. Matthew might have been fascinated with these women because, if it is Matthew that wrote this, uh, he was a tax collector and collected taxes from his people. And taxes were cheap cheating back then. They, the tax collectors just said, uh, you owe $5,000. Are you owe $60,000. And there was no rhyme or reason to it. And everybody hated the tax man because he got to decide how badly you got cheated. And so when Jesus picked him out, he climbed up a tree to see Jesus better. And Jesus started talking to him while he was in the tree. I don't know if you remember that story from if you went to Sunday school, but he came down and became one of the entourage, one of the disciples of Jesus. And so maybe he really felt like he had some kinship with these people who needed a second chance, people who were misunderstood and um, did the wrong things, but came around right anyway. You think 
when you think about Rabbi Jesus, you think, I wonder how his ancestors affected him, you know? You watch the show, Finding Your Roots. I don't know how many of you watch that, but we watch that at our house. Um, or we used to before we'd watched them all. And so it's so moving to watch people get this book that all the researchers have worked on. And it's like, here's the book of your life. And you start opening it up. And there was an episode that had Questlove on it. I know y'all know who Questlove is. And he was, um, he said, I promised myself I wasn't going to cry, but I just felt like maybe I was a weed with no roots. I didn't know who I came from. I didn't know anything back before my dad. And and now I've got all these people. I see the ship manifest of people who've taken passage over the over the the ocean. And then I see um, I also can go back far enough to see the people of mine who were enslaved, and their names are listed on this in the will of some plantation owner. And he just said, this changes me. I, I feel like I have roots now and I, I come from people and I, I've seen their names on pieces of paper from hundreds of years ago. And so, and it's, it's amazing how often you find out that you have been, the celebrities that they research have been doing the things that their ancestors also did. They, They've been repeating. They're somehow in the family business. And um, so Jesus, when you look at him in the Christian scriptures, you have to be careful because you don't really know. Um, you don't really know what's true that you're reading. There's a whole group of biblical scholars and other people who've paid to be in the group called the Jesus Seminar. And um, they vote on what they, or they did this in the past. They voted on what they thought Jesus really said. And so they copied out the whole um, New Testament and the things that they were pretty sure he said, absolutely sure he said, are in red. And the things that they think he might have said are in pink. The things they're pretty sure he didn't say are in gray. And the things they're absolutely sure he never said are in black. And the number of things that are in red that they're sure he said is 14. 14 things. So when you're looking at Rabbi Jesus and what he was like, you don't really know. But you get an impression because whatever he was like, it got him killed by the authorities. That's the one thing you know. He colored outside the lines. And so... Um, so you're looking at Rabbi Jesus and you think, was his... Was his absolute authority to rebel part of his DNA? And was his sense of fairness part of his DNA from these grandmothers who had done things that would have made church people go, tut, tut, tut? You know how church people tut, tut sometimes. Even in this church, they do from time to time. If somebody... um, you know, throws a water bottle in the trash. <laughs> That's a big Unitarian sin. <laughs> or if somebody goes, you know what? I didn't even vote. <laughs> 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 but in other churches, they tut about other things. 
And these women who were the abuelas of Jesus would have been tutted about a lot, and they would have said things like, Oh, Tamar, we, we prayed for you last Wednesday night. <laughs> Ruth, we heard how you started dating your husband. So in our country, where we have this kind of churchianity that is so different from what Rabbi Jesus taught, so different, um, and our culture keeps swinging back and forth between an ecstasy of capitalism and this uh, rigid churchianity where you know any woman who colors outside the lines must be punished, and she should be punished if she uses birth control. They don't even know how it works, but they don't want her to do it. And um, there are so many ways of coloring outside the lines as the lines get narrower, smaller, as your space gets smaller. Now, there are words you're not supposed to use if you're the Centers for Disease Control. Uh, I'm reading all the Harry Potter books again. I don't know if y'all have read those, but it feels like Dolores Umbridge has taken over... (laughs) We're all having to write lines. I must not use the word fetus. I must not use the word. None of that, none of the pendulum swings is Christianity, uh, is Rabbi Jesus, what he taught. And so I think when I look at him and I look at how he got killed for what he said, I think um, he was living out his ancestors' essence. And I think we should give ourselves some room to do unexpected things. Maybe to break little laws for the right reasons. Please say with me the words by which we extinguish our chalice. We extinguish this flame, but not the light of truth, the warmth of community or the fire of commitment, these we hold in our hearts until we are together again. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. Bright morning stars are rising. In my soul, go in peace. This is a production of the First Unitarian Universalist Church of Austin. For more information, go to our website at austinuu.org.